Welcome to the Deepwater Podcast. I'm Dave Mercer. I'm James Judd. And our goal on this podcast is to learn to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. Yes, sir. Today we have a very special guest who is making disciples of all nations, but still living right smack dab in the heartland of America. His name is Kirk, and he's had a lot of influence on both of us. Kirk pastored Dave and invested in Dave's life for about seven years. As for me, when uh, Jill and I really need some advice, Kirk and his wife are some of the people we go to. In fact, about probably a year and a half ago, we were going through some really difficult stuff with our overseas work and really being at a point of burnout. And Kirk and his wife were some of the people that we called to seek advice from, and we appreciated them investing some time into us. Today, you're going to hear an amazing story of how God took Kirk from being a heathen golf pro to being a full-time minister. Now, as you listen to Kirk's interview, I want you to listen for the way men who put time investing into his life had an influence and an impact on Kirk's walk. I want you to look at the methods God used to give him a small, connected group of people he could grow with, even as he had a very mobile schedule. So sit back and enjoy. Here's Dave and Kirk. Kirk, let's just start off here on the Deepwater Podcast. We like to talk both about being a disciple and making disciples and even making disciples who make disciples. And sometimes we kind of format that where we talk about one and then the other, but feel the freedom as we move along to talk about them concurrently, like they're kind of woven into the same tapestry. Sure. So let's just start off. Kirk, tell us a little bit about who you are, how you came to be a disciple, and to get involved with making disciples. Okay. Well, I grew up in Chickasha, Oklahoma. That's my hometown. Uh, My mom took us to church. My brothers and I have two younger brothers. Uh, She took us to church until I was about 13, and then she couldn't make us go anymore, and so really dropped out at that point. My dad was alcoholic, and I didn't like the lifestyle he lived, but I began going that way as well. So at about 13, I started drinking, which sounds very, very young, but I did start drinking. Uh, didn't really recognize that I even had a problem till later uh, in college, but and I had really no spiritual interest whatsoever. But I met a girl in college, a uh, blind date. And she was just pretty special. And so I really wanted to spend time with her. She tried to get me to go to church with her. I wasn't interested in that. She said, well, if you won't go to church, would you read the Bible with me? And I didn't care about the Bible, but I did care about her. So if I could spend time with her, if we took reading the Bible, okay. You're willing to suffer to hang out with her. I I was. (laughs) So anyway, we had some great discussions over really like about a two-year period of really just reading the Bible. I would argue with her about things in the Bible. She was a believer, but really wasn't walking very close to God at the time, or she wouldn't have hung around me, that's for (laughs) sure. So anyway, reading the Bible really began just to change my mind and uh, slowly and then had some crisis, different crises in my life in the summer of 1977, way back there, kind of the tail end of the Jesus movement. And in the summer of 77 is really when I think I started really listening to what God might be saying to me. Uh, I had one occasion that really stands out. I was traveling back from North Carolina. I was a golf professional at the time. And by the way, golf was my God, little G God. Golf's a yeah. great game, but a crummy God. 
So I wasn't, I didn't do very well in a tournament there that was important to me. And so I stopped in a hotel in Arkansas, was ready to go out and just get drunk because I didn't do well. And that was my normal uh, way to handle anything. So I was planning on it, turned the TV on. I didn't like silence, had the TV on. And actually Billy Graham was preaching. And so I started listening to that. He was preaching on uh, living water. And so that night, instead of reaching for a, a bottle, I reached for a Bible, a Gideon Bible that was on the nightstand, started reading it, John chapter 4. And then I listened to what he had to say. I read John chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, all the way through. And I didn't go out. And I think that was a real turning point, uh, really, in my life. And then about two months later, Karen and I were getting married, and all of a sudden, I couldn't hide some of my horrible habits that she really wasn't even aware of that much. And so a close friend of mine, the same week we were getting married, a close friend of mine had a second head injury. The doctor said he wasn't going to survive. And so for the first time then, so this is August of 1977, uh, for the first time, I really started thinking about my own mortality. He was a close friend from childhood, really. And so from that point on, then we got married and it was rough on her, it, really rough on her. And I did, wasn't adjusting very well. And she could see really who I really was, which mm -hmm. was not what she thought. And so over the next two months with my friend still in a coma, I really began searching the Bible hard and reading some other books. And during those two month time, that two month time, God just sent other messengers to me that were sharing the good news with me. And uh, I just it it really started just making sense. But I still didn't want to surrender or give up what I was doing, uh, lifestyle I was li living. So the guy that did our wedding ceremony, he wasn't very thorough in premarital counseling. He just asked if I was a Christian. I said, sure, I've been baptized. And that's all I knew. Yeah, <laughs> really. Uh, but I was learning. And so I went to see him because I was kind of at the end of my road, playing bad golf, frustrated with marriage. My friend was dying. I, it was just a crisis time. So I went to see him and just said, and I kind of laid it out there to him. He said, well, your problem is you need a change from the inside out. He said, it's not going to happen. You trying hard because I could accomplish a lot trying hard. I, yeah. I did and was that and that kind of guy. But he said, you need to change inside out, heart change. He said, your heart change and it comes to really giving your life to Christ, following him. So that night, October 5th, 1977, I prayed maybe one of the worst salvation prayers ever prayed. <laughs> this is how I prayed, Dave. I said, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not. But I need help. So if you're real, help me. That's all I prayed. And so woke up the next day. All of a sudden, I'd lost 50 pounds in the night and I hadn't even gone to the gym. I was, I was amazed. I felt light. All of a sudden, I felt at peace. I couldn't cuss. I didn't want to drink, even like that. And certainly some things have taken a lot longer to change, but I had a, a 180 overnight. And so I said, well, I guess Jesus is real, you know? So that really was the beginning of my really walk with Jesus and becoming wow. a disciple. Uh, I was a golf pro at the time. I was scared to death. I, you know, I didn't know any Christians. None of my, none of my friends were believers. I said, I don't know any Christians. So I was kind of laying low. 
we went to the first tournament after that uh, because we were in Oklahoma City at the time. It was about two weeks later, two and a half weeks later, and I'd been baptized already by that time. And I went to the went to the first tournament, and the first and I I, I was scared. I didn't want to see any of my friends because I knew they'd want me to go drink and all that. I didn't know how to say no. Even <laughs> they weren't yet. sure if you were ready for the trial yet. I was not ready, and so uh, first guy that we saw, we were in Phoenix. First guy I saw, I go, oh my gosh. That dude tried to witness to me in college golf. So it was about three years earlier, two, three years earlier. I went up to him. It was on a Sunday. And we'd just been to church. And it was on a Sunday. I went up to him and, and hugged him. And he thought I was drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, he thought, what is wrong with this guy? Because I'd, I'd run away from him a few years earlier. Every time I saw yeah. him, I avoided him. So I gave him a hug and I told him my first witness was about as lame as my first as my salvation prayer. I, my first witness was, hey, Brad, we've been to church. And he goes, oh, really? You know, he was unimpressed. But yeah. it was it was a big deal for me. <laughs> so that's how I went. Hey, we've been to church. He goes, really? So we started talking, and then he connected me with some other believers. I didn't even know they were out there. I couldn't recall anybody else sharing with me except this guy. And they were out there. So we had really traveling church, house church, for the next really two years while I was playing on the mini tour. Never did make the PGA tour. But that was a great time to grow. We were living as disciples and didn't even know it. Everybody there except Brad was brand new believer, kind of Jesus movement fruit. So, but we were reading the Bible together. We were taking turns leading. And, you know, I mean, probably second or third week in the Bible study, your turn to teach next week. I'm going, uh, okay. You know, so we were. The first thing was you taught about? (laughs) We were doing a study in Colossians. And so I don't remember the topic exactly. I think maybe even chapter one about Jesus being preeminent, having first place and everything. And, and he did already in my life in just a couple of, you know, really uh, probably a couple of months. We were looking to scripture together, praying together. Uh, we banded together and bonded and said, hey, let's reach out to our our buddies because it's a lost world out there on the on the golf tour, whichever it's the, if it's the major tour, or the minor tour, and it was the minor. So we banded together, we witnessed, we were memorizing scripture. Most of the time, we were between Florida, uh, Orlando, and Phoenix, and so we had uh, a church in both places that a lot of us went to. But we had this this group that was invaluable for growing, you know. And one guy especially took me under his wing to uh, to disciple me. He was, he'd been saved like six months earlier from the same background I had. He had a lot more crises than I had, though. He took me under his wing, poured into me, and uh, man, I wouldn't trade those couple of years for anything because we, we had time. Really, I felt like I got grounded pretty well. So that's kind of my story a little bit long. So it sounded like your journey was... It really just started with surrender. And from there, everything just kind of, it gave everything else meaning because you were really trusting Jesus. So your time in the Word had meaning. Your community had meaning. It did. There there was no doubt that I had had that heart change that that my friend told me about. That's that's great. So where, where now do we go in your journey that you went from being on the golf tour to being in full time Christian ministry? Well, it was an interesting journey. Uh, I felt like not too long after I came to know Christ, I felt like that I I really wanted to uh, invest my life in other people, making disciples, reaching others. 
But I had a lot of growing to do those couple of years. My golf, right after I trusted the Lord, I played my best, really. I was at peace, you know, hey, out of bounds, so what, you know? So <laughs> I played pretty good for quite a while, but then I got in a long slump. And so final year that I played, I just, I wasn't winning any money. I mean, almost nil. And uh, Karen, my wife, was pregnant with her first. We we hadn't planned that, but those things do happen. So she was pregnant. And I said, oh my, I got to be responsible now. And so I uh, realized that it was time to get a real job. So I, at that time, I, I really considered even uh, some kind of, you know, vocational ministry. And so the main thing I knew was like Navigators, Campus Crusade, because it, wherever we were, we ran into those guys in the yeah. discipleship we used. They had some good tools we used. So I wrote to both of those. Yeah, that was back in the day of writing a letter on oh, paper okay. with a pen. So you tweeted them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wrote to them. I got letters back from both of them. They said, wonderful. You have to raise support. Well, that's what I've been doing, I'm playing golf. I, I needed a real job. I needed to work hard and I needed to get paid and I didn't need to raise support. So Oklahoma City at that time, 1980, was uh, oil boom. So I got a job as a landman. The short story, I had a business major from OSU. And so uh, that helped me. And I got a job as a landman. So really worked as a landman for about uh, six years for this one company. And it's a great job. We met some other believers there. We reached some guys on the job. It was fun. I really enjoyed Marketplace, just being a normal guy, but following Christ and yeah. trying to make him known, you know, knowing him, making him known. One guy that joined our company was a, uh, actually had been to Dallas Seminary. I trained him in land work and he trained me a lot in uh, theology and discipleship and walking with God. It was good. So, there was another guy that poured into me. So all along, though, after the first couple of years, I really felt like, you know, this is good. I'm liking it. Great job. Great people, you know, making good money. But really, how can I be invested in my life to make the, the biggest impact, you know, for Christ? So I had a kind of a discontent a, a bit in my heart and realized that, you know, hey, I, I want to be given all that I am to that, even work-wise. But I was too comfortable, honestly. <laughs> Dave, I was just making good money. Like I said, good job, too comfortable. Finally, though, 1986, uh, our company was bought out. And I remember our boss came in on January 2nd and said, hey, yesterday, happy new year. Our, we got bought out yesterday. I said, what does that mean? He said, I don't know, but probably some massive layoffs later. And so Karen and I began to pray and said, you know, is this the time God's redirecting us? Yeah. So then in July, around the 4th of July, uh, those layoffs came. So I had two resumes going. One was uh, ministry, which was pretty lame. <laughs> had three-line resume, you know. <laughs> now, I'd been teaching in the church, youth primarily, uh, evangelism training, camp counselor, decision counselor. So I, I was involved pretty heavily in church, which was a good time for me, gained a lot of experience. So I had that resume, but then I had one more was my oil and gas resume, my land resume. As time went on, probably about uh, two and a half, three months, Karen and I really prayed and prayed hard about what direction to go. I actually thought we were already there as far as, okay, we're ready to do ministry. She wasn't quite ready yet. 
and I didn't realize it, but I made a declaration when I turned down a pretty good land landman job that, uh, no, I don't want that job. I'm going a different direction. And she realized, okay, this is the real deal. So from then on, uh, we have had our focus on, you know, vocational ministry for the last 30 years. Okay. I want to stop you right there. That seems like a key point for everyone who's listening to this, who is attached and realizes that they're their decision, how they follow Christ, how that plays out is not just their decision and it'll affect their life roommate, their wife or maybe husband. That's right. I guess it sounds like the Lord kind of honored the fact that you you led her in that and that even helped change her heart. Not that you said, well, I guess I better take this job because Karen's not just, she's just not there yet. It sounds like you, you led out and in y'all's case, in your story, her, she kind of that gave her the courage to say, "I guess this is where we're headed." Yeah, that's that's right. And she was, I think, she was there, but the way that I turned down that job was a little bit shocking for her. I think, okay. and she's been super supportive. I mean, she's just been a great yeah. ministry partner, and that is very necessary for a family who's you know engaged in vocational ministry where it. It's your, you know, not only your work, but, uh, you know, your passion as well, your profession and your passion. Okay. Well, let me ask you this before we move on. And what advice would you give to someone who in their journey thinks the Lord might be leading them in not necessarily full-time ministry, but just in some direction that will have significant life consequences in maybe geography, maybe, you know, where they get their mail, how much money's flowing in their bank account, what family members they're near, what ones they're not near, especially for those who are listening and maybe the the couple somewhat divided on answering that call or having the courage to answer it. Is there any encouragement or advice you'd give them? Yeah, I think that both spouses really have to be on the same page, maybe not with all the details yet, but willing. And again, that surrender word. You know, be willing to do it. If one is not, I've got some counsel along the way. That's important, too. I think the main ways that a couple makes major decisions, because that's major, they need to follow that. Where it's certainly a word from God from the Scripture, certainly prayer together and as a family, certainly seeking counsel looking at your gifting, your experience, your opportunities, all of that in making major decisions, it it really needs to be a priority and a focus for a while until you come up to come together on, you know, on your decision. Thank you. Yeah. So now uh, you got involved in in full-time ministry. Y'all took that leap. Kind of tell us if you would about your journey into being a disciple maker and if you want, kind of weave into that how you got involved with making disciples of all nations, you know, your specific focus on international ministry and people here, Americans. Sure. Well, my first step forward, and, and that goes with the question you asked before, I mean, just take steps forward, you know, in faith, in their faith steps, you know, you can't see where God's going to lead exactly, but take those steps forward. My first step forward was I engaged in international and outreach ministry on a, in a summer job. And then they asked me to stay in the fall 
1987. So I've been a believer about 10 years. And so I focused on outreach and youth work because that's what I had been doing. So I had some Mm -hmm. experience and I loved it. Teenagers, students were, you know, receptive to the gospel and really just love sharing the gospel and then and making disciples. So I've been discipled well, like I said, with some guys, I think, that gave me a vision for reaching other people and then helping them grow. That was good. So I started in youth work and then I was at a church in Yukon, Oklahoma, for about a year and the pastor resigned at that time. And so then it was me and another guy on staff. So we, we both uh, assumed a lot more responsibility at that time of preaching, teaching, leading, all of that. But I told him, I said, hey, I, I want to go on this mission trip. And he said, well, go for it, because I'd always, always wanted to go on a mission trip. I had never been on one. So I went on a mission trip in 1988, so about a year after I'd started at the church in Yukon, and it really just opened my eyes, and I said, this is the greatest thing ever. It was evangelism. It was cross-cultural, which I really wasn't all that cross-cultural at that point, but went to a tough place, Guadalajara, Mexico, 80 degrees every day. Uh, nice weather, worked with a family trying to plant a new church. Mm. It was through Global Missions Fellowship, which is now E3 Partners, that's uh, pretty pretty prominent in a lot of a lot of the work across America and around the world, really. But went with Global Missions, so worked with this family. I said, man, I love that. So I came back and then pretty excited about that. So then next year, went with them again to another difficult place, Acapulco, Mexico. Oh, man. <laughs> but we didn't see the beach until the very last day, day off. Yeah. We were on a mountain. That was maybe the hardest mission trip I've ever been on. I've been on probably 40 or 50 since then. But at that time, sitting in this, we were planting a church up on the mountain where the people didn't have to come down the mountain. And so we were planting a church up there and sitting in the church, in the back of the church, there were little pigs running in and out. I was on the back pew uh, with our, our team and these little pigs running in and out. It was a very poor church, but man, they loved the Lord and just, it was it had been a fantastic week on sharing the gospel, seeing people come to faith. And so uh, with translators, because mi español es malo, bad. Mm. I'm not like you, Dave. I'm not, I'm not multilingual. So we're sitting there and the pastor was preaching. And we had translator, pastor preaching in Romans 15, 20 and 21 about how Paul said, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build on another man's foundation. I just knew from that time on, I said, that's what I'm. That's what I want to be about. And that I really sensed that was God's calling from that time. So that was 1989. So I came back. I was still pretty young in ministry to the church when we gave our mission report. I said, I don't really know what this means, but I it probably means I'm not going to be at this church very long. And that's how I gave my mission report. <laughs> so I'm not sure how wise. Cricket, I- were there crickets chirping out in the, like, <laughs> did he just say that? <laughs> probably like, Huh? What did you say? And so I really did say that because I said at the time, Yukon was not very diverse ethnically or culturally. It is a lot more now, but it wasn't at the time. And so from that time on, Karen and I then started taking steps forward to, to go overseas with the International Mission Board. But our kids were close to teenage years by by now. Our son was, well, he was about 10. By the time we'd be qualified, he'd be almost teenager. And because at the time they, you had to have a couple of years 
under your belt and all that kind of stuff. So he was going to be close to teenager. But Karen had, this is a good example of us not going a certain direction that I felt. Because okay. Karen had a really red flag about going like, okay, they're they're trying to rush us through and we can get through before Jeff is technically a teenager, but culturally he's probably already a teenager going to be. And she had a red flag about it. Our son is not as flexible as our daughter. And so we just felt like, you know, we probably need to just stay stateside if we can, but still the same calling of getting the gospel to people who haven't heard. And so I sought some counsel from a couple of missionary guys I knew because I didn't really know that many yet at the time. I mean, I was my network was expanding some, but I didn't know that many. So I sought the counsel from one guy that I really respected. And he said, hey, listen, if your wife's not on board, he said, uh, that's a major deal, major red flag. You need to just stay put and you need to think about cross-cultural church planting, about reaching refugees, immigrants, international students, mobilizing on mission trips. And little did he know he was pretty prophetic because that's what I did for the next 25 years. <laughs> so, wow. so yeah, that, it's been just um, John the Baptist said, you know, no one can receive anything uh, unless it comes from heaven, you know, and I think that's certain a ministry. He was referring to his ministry. So I think that was a gift that God has given us in ministry just to stay put, but still uh, focused on trying to reach people who haven't heard. And uh, yeah. there are plenty, even in Oklahoma City, obviously some cities around the country, even more so. Some places you would think not at all, but like places like Guymon, Oklahoma, because of the feedlots out there, there are so many refugees. I understand there are 37 languages or dialects spoken in the Guymon public schools. Wow. I know. And Oklahoma City, and we can talk about that some here in a few minutes. But yeah. uh, By the way, listeners, if you don't know where Guymon is, <laughs> hit pause on this podcast and look it up. That way you can really appreciate what Kirk's saying. Look at the panhandle, the middle <laughs> of nowhere. Yeah. Sorry, James. We know that's uh, God's country. but And also, if you're listening... Run back and you can hear that list of things Kirk threw out because that's, man, that's a that's almost a comprehensive list of ways that if you're passionate about missions or for whatever reason, what the Lord has given you is maybe not to cross into another time zone or continent. There's a good list for you to think about right there. Well, we're going to wrap up the interview on this episode right here. Tune in next week for the rest of the episode where you're going to hear Kirk talk about the path God took him on to where eventually he wound up working with internationals, primarily in America, but also overseas as well. He'll also share with you one of the tools that he and his wife use, or one of the things that helps them know what God's will is for them. I found it very useful myself, and I started trying to implement it, and I hope you will as well. So tune in next week. Mm-hmm.